Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Village Podcast. Um, my name is Wunani, and I am joined by Lengwe Mwengwe and our special guest today, Mwangala, from the Sister Sister Foundation. Hi, guys. How's everyone doing? You guys want to say hi? Tell us how you're doing. How's been your day? You know, my day is just getting started. I'm literally watching the sunrise, but otherwise it was a good, I think a good night's rest. I'm ready for this conversation and looking forward to it. Um, my day has been everything. <laughs> um, I've had to do everything. I've been late because I had like an 8 a.m. class and my alarm went off and I ignored my alarm like good students do. And so at least we're here, you know, nearing the end of the day. So that's amazing. Yes. And Mwanga, can you say hi? Tell us a bit about yourself. Hi. Um, my day was okay. It's also nearing the end. So after this podcast, I'm putting everything away and getting my rest. Um, do I do my intention now? Yes, please. You can go ahead. Okay. Uh, my name is Mangala Monde. I am the co-founder and admin director at the Sister Sister Foundation. And away from the Sister Sister Foundation, I still work um, in the field. Is it a field or area of women's rights? I work for two different organizations for Better Zambia that um, seeks to further the cause of women's rights as well. And then I work for Scanner Network that um, um, promotes the participation of women in tech and STEM subjects. And recently, the past couple of years, we have been um, doing digital literacy and internet safety training. And um, a part of that is um, addressing online sexual and gender-based violence. So, yeah, that's about me. Okay, that's a lot. Um, uh, that's interesting, actually. So I'm pretty sure by listening to what Mwangala said, everyone has an idea of what we're going to be talking about today. and what our conversation is all about. Today's topic or today's conversation is centered around sexual and gender-based violence. So we're going to be talking about what it is, um, how it affects us, how do we break the cycle, the laws, the policies, you know, everything as much as we can about um, sexual and gender-based violence. So just to get the ball rolling, a few things maybe people would want to know, the statistics and all that surrounding sexual gender-based violence in Zambia. So according to the UN, um, Zambia has one of the highest rates of sexual and gender-based violence in the world, with 43% of girls and women between the ages of 15 and 49 having experienced some form of sexual violence. I think almost every woman has a story of um, sexual harassment, of them being sexually harassed or sexually abused. Am I right? Is there anyone else here who who agrees? For sure. I do. I truly do. Is this the part where I tell Onani that you're muted in case you're still speaking? Well, <laughs> thank you. So... Um, I was saying an annual survey by the Victim Support Unit of the Zambia Police Service reveals that in 2016, the country recorded 18,540 cases of gender-based violence, which was more than what was reported in the previous year. 
So this gives a general idea of how bad the situation is or and how important it is that we have this conversation. But um, I think that this conversation sometimes is difficult for people to have. I think it's a difficult topic to get into, especially in households. So do you, what do you guys think? is Has this been an easy conversation for you to have, say, in your household, or what maybe could be the challenges? Maybe we can start from there. Um, I suppose I can start. Yeah. For me, my mom is um, my mom's a doctor. So this has always been a conversation. And if I'm not mistaken, her dissertation at master's level must have, must have had something to do with um, sexual abuse because my mom is super conscious. Probably since I was six or seven, before I even knew what sex was, before I knew what assault was, before I could really comprehend any of this, she would tell me, she would tell me the basics of Never let anybody touch you, even if they're bathing you and you just feel uncomfortable. Let me know, stuff like that. And so the conversation has been, I would say it's been open, but it hasn't always been easy. Um, I think based, because I had an incident that, so she always told me about men mostly, right? She told me, yeah. so I had one face. But when I experienced some sort of sexual, um, I would say molestation, it was perpetuated by a woman. So for me, that didn't ring any bells. It was like years later and I was reading this article and I'm like, huh, that happened to me. That's not right. And so I went to tell my mom and she was so heartbroken. She's just like, I thought you would tell me, you know, I gave you all these warnings and whatnot. So I was just like, I didn't, I guess I didn't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is true, because I also think um, maybe another challenge, like when it comes to sexual violence, I believe a lot of African families sometimes, or let me say Zambian families, tend to be so reserved when it comes to sex, especially um, like talking about it um, with young people, with their children in the house, for example. Sometimes people want to pretend like, you know, there's no such thing as sex, so there's very little sex education i think that goes around and i think that that contributes to sexual and gender-based violence because then in an event where someone is sexually abused then they don't know where to start from because first of all no one told you about sex and if it so happens like you've been sexually abused and you had no idea about what it is then where do you start from how do you how do you bring it up in a house where no one wanted to have that conversation. No, no one wanted to tell you what sex was and how things work. So, yeah. Um, Mangala, anything? What are your thoughts on this? We never spoke about it in my house. Ever. I think it would start and end with boys are bad, men are bad. You see them coming this way around the other direction. So, yeah. I wouldn't say it was also a conversation that was had in school. Um, we had those clubs, the girl guide, auntie Ed, they would touch on it, but they would never really go into detail. I think um, even I started openly speaking about it just like a few years ago, I think maybe it's 2014, 2015, because I just, I did not know how to have the conversation, but I just knew it was a conversation that had to be had. So yeah, I hope parents are breaking the cycle these days and speaking to their children about these things. Yeah, I agree. And Mwengwe. Yeah. Um, I find this question very interesting, right? Because I think growing up, I grew up in a household where my mother is an OBGYN. 
So these stories kind of weave their way into, oh, mommy, how is work today? And you tell you, oh, this and this happened. Maybe this woman came in with this and I missed this and this kind of happened. Um, but it was also very interesting because I always had a lot of stories about potential hope in those, right? In which, um, so working where she works, um, there are opportunities where if you see something, you know, you say something. And then if, especially when it comes to SGBV, especially mostly um, as it relates to um, employees, because she works for a company where she's serving the employees and their families, as it relates to the employees, uh, the company could potentially interject in someone which way um, to get the family members who who have experienced any kind of sexual based violence, right? Uh, the help that they need. And so for me, I think perhaps I had an idealized idea of what happened across the country because this is what was happening in my community, right? So therefore it should be happening everywhere else. I mean, the entirety of Zambia, this is what's happening. And I think it was a harsh, harsh awakening when that wasn't the case. And I think when I started, I think somewhere on high school when you'd be reading magazines or newspapers and there are these stories, endless stories of the horrific things that have happened to both women and girl children. When I started watching the news and I'm like, why is this happening? And I think that was kind of the moment where I was like, wow. So what I've experienced also is totally different from what everybody else may be experiencing or hearing. Um, and I think... To a certain degree, it's, 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 it's interesting because I think in my own experience, I was also raised in a household where, you know, you, you, I was, I was brought up to be able to go to my mom and say anything. But I think the one incident I can think of, which was more of the, the sexual molestation kind, um, is something that came later on where I look back at it and I'm like, wait, that happened. It's like now that I look at the different, I'm like, wait, that wasn't right. What happened there wasn't right. But then I think, the fear of the fact that my family or my, 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 my community might simply overlook it was so great that I felt, you know what, let me just keep quiet. It's not worth it. Now I look back at it. My story is very much valid and is worth it. Right. Yeah. I think from what you said, um, it goes to show that sometimes people don't know that they have been, abused or they have been sexually harassed and maybe that's why um, such conversations are important because I'll give an example of myself sometime last year if I'm not mistaken on Twitter people took to talking about their experiences and how they survived sexual abuse survivors told their stories and during that um, period of time is when I realized that actually certain things that happened to me should not have happened um, I'll give an example of the way I went to school, like my high school. At one point when we were in grade 10, if I'm not mistaken, the guys, senior boys, like grade 11s, would line up in the hallway that led to the girls' toilet. So for you to enter the toilet, you had to walk in between the path that the boys had created. And so I was in grade 10 at that point and would go walk through there with my friends. You have to go to the bathroom. So one time we're walking through there and I suddenly feel so many hands on my butt and so many people are, you know, trying to touch me inappropriately. So because there are so many people there, I couldn't even 
identify who was who or who did what. But I remember just feeling very uncomfortable and knowing like this shouldn't have, like it's not right, it shouldn't be done. But those were seniors. And I think to some extent, I was a little bit afraid to talk about it or to, you know, call them out. But I remember the next time I passed there, I told them, look, if anyone tries to touch me, I don't care who it's going to be. I'm going to hit whoever it is, whoever I see first or whatever. But I didn't realize then that that was a form, say, of sexual harassment. And only when people were telling their stories and were talking about their experiences, when I realized that, damn, actually what happened then shouldn't have happened. And so because people don't talk about this, we don't talk about this in homes, um, in religious buildings, like churches don't talk about it. Sometimes you don't realize actually that what happened or what you experienced is not right and it shouldn't have happened. So I suppose that's one way in which this conversation is important. Feel free to like interrupt or join and just, you know, comment, share your thoughts and whatever. Um, so when you started recounting that experience of like the guys in the hallway, we were at the same high school. I I felt it in my spirit. I was, Yo. yeah. Um, I remember dreading because we had like specific to- toilets to be used for specific grades and everything. I remember dreading going to the toilet all the time. Um, to the extent that yeah. sometimes when we'd have to like change our kids to end like for PE, we'd have to. I'm changing class because I'm just like, I can't go through that. Every time when I go there, yeah. I must say a prayer. I must, I'm just like, no. And now that you've pointed it out, right? So I guess for me uh, specifically, I don't think there's any incident that occurred then. But then now that I think about it, what you said makes sense. Like, why were they always standing there though? And And the hallway was so small. Exactly. Yeah, it's not even like it was a yeah, big hole. It was something have, small. I feel like our, oh. and this is not like blaming, so but I feel like our teachers could have done better, could have told them not to stand there because I'm sure people saw it. It's, it's not normal behavior to just stand in a hallway like that. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. No, they definitely knew because I remember um during that same time we had a mm-hmm. girls meeting there's a time they'll do like these girls meetings and whatever so we asked at the end to like just share whatever it is that we want to talk about so i raised up my hand to talk about the same thing and i said every time we go to the um toilet so we want to go to the bathroom guys are lining up in the bath like um to the in the hallway leading up to the toilets and just touching people inappropriately and you know of course some people i think also that time it was very you know, we're young. Some people um, maybe would think that's getting attention from boys and whatever, wanting to feel, you know. So some people disagreed with me during that same meeting and I was so shocked. But then that doesn't matter. The teacher who we told, who I will not mention, was like, didn't do anything about it. I really never heard anything about that after we spoke about it. It never ever came up again. I don't know if anyone was ever addressed or ever talked to, but like, that was it. The issue was just done. I just stopped at that meeting and that was it. Nothing changed. So, yeah, they probably could have done better. I think people in admin, anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if, like, at a certain age, for some women, they feel like maybe it never happened to them and it's only us, right? That, that, those are the kind of questions I have in my head because I'm just like, if you can remember how you felt when you were us, 
I'm sure you would work hard to make sure that that isn't somebody else's reality. Um, but it is what it is, and I hope they do better now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're talking about this. I think Lingua just made a great point, right? Where we're supposed to be working towards the fact that this is not the reality for other people, right? For other people who come after us, they should not be having these experiences. But it begs the question why we're going in the totally opposite direction nowadays. Yeah. And it's actually something very worrisome. Because I remember thinking after the um, women's, the march that happened, I think it was two weeks ago, I, I was thinking about how I really wanted to be there. And I was just feeling so, you know, left out and whatever. Then I thought in my head, I was like, oh, well, I can, I'll just attend the next one. And I thought, I shouldn't even be thinking of, like, our, we're trying to end all this. We're trying to reach a point where people are not raped, people are not harassed. So I'm like, I shouldn't even be thinking of trying, like, I should attend the next march because ideally we shouldn't be having, you know, another march because we'd like all this to end. But, yeah, we are going in in an opposite direction, which is very unfortunate. And You know one like thing? It about all this i think it may seem like we're going in the opposite direction but it might it might be one of those cases where over time women have had their voices you know because i think before there wouldn't be as many cases yeah because nobody would speak about it um you'd like people are still chastised now which is something we definitely need to get into but it was also a thing back then and so i think we are making small steps, not the steps that need to be made, because if half your population is always in danger, I think there's something that needs to be done. Um, but that's, that's also big, like this question of the statistics you shared, right? You said 43%. And then you also have to put into consideration the people who never report, mm-hmm. the people who don't know um, that, that's, that what they've gone through is actually inappropriate. So our percentage might be much higher. <laughs> but having this conversation, I guess it's important to kind of like explain um, the terms we're using. We've used sexual assault. Um, we've used molestation. We've used all these various words, right, terms. And for me, my question is actually specifically to Mangala because the moment I saw SGBV, I'm not going to lie. I really thought somebody meant to like type GBV and then they just, it was just like a typo and stuff. And I started reading into it and found out it's like an actual term, right? So why did your organization, um, which wrote out that petition, use the term SGBV as opposed to GBV, even though I know that in encompassed in the definition of GBV is sexual violence? I don't know if it's always been encompassed and uh, every time the discussions about gender-based violence have happened, uh, violence that is sexual in nature has never been addressed in that way. So the reason that we decided to have a march against sexual and gender-based violence is, of course, because of the violence that was happening during the election period. Um, 
there was obviously mad violence, like people were fighting one another, but then the violence that was that women were experiencing was sexual in nature. And um as sister sister, we do advocate against sexual violence, we advocate advocate against rape and all these things. But then there's also um gender based violence, which is something that we never really looked into because we thought there's so many other organizations and institutions that are doing that. But really the match was in response to the violence that was happening during um the election period and then we just thought about how um, we have a new government coming in and we have a chance to sort of uh, change a few things to our benefit. So that's how come the match happened. And then we also had the petition. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, yeah, so we're aiming for 18,000 signatures because um, there's speculation. Um, that's these um, 18,000 cases of violence that happen every year. And these are only the reported ones. So we're looking at 18,000 signatures to represent the 18,000 victims that have suffered either sexual or gender-based violence. And then once we get those, we've also got demands that have been written in the petition, if you've seen it, we're looking to um, sort of like restructure the victim support units because even in its definition, the victim support is supposed to be on the side of the victim, but it is probably one of the worst places you can go to after you've been sexually assaulted, even after you've suffered any form of violence. So yeah um i feel like i digressed but i hope i answered your question yes you have um you've done it so beautifully actually i just wanted to say firstly thank you thank you thank your organization for taking that step because i would describe myself as an advocate um which i am but i'm not an activist right so the difference is i speak about issues activists speak and do something about it and the step that you've taken is really important. It's just like, have you received any feedback? Are there people coming on board? Is there a ministry that's contacted you? Is there anything moving in that direction following the match? I'm telling you to bring that up. No, we haven't had any ministry contact us, but um, there is an organization that reached out because they were following the petition and then they saw the, the comments that we were receiving because the, the cover photo for the petition when we had put it on Facebook was one talking about, don't teach me how, don't tell me how to dress, teach the men not to rape me. And obviously all the comments were just saying, but if you're decently dressed, what are you expecting and things like that. So this woman who um, is quite important, I mean, I can't give any details yet, but yeah, she reached out and we had a meeting and she's saying she's going to sort of just help um, get us the audience that we need to take the petition, to take the demands and everything. And um, she does have contacts and a foot in so many doors. And um, yeah, the doors that we actually need to walk into and speak to the people that are found there. So I'm quite hopeful about that. And the support by Amnesty International is also um, yeah something that is going to make sure that at least they listen to us. That's really amazing. Um, kudos to the woman, even though we don't know who she is yet. So um, moving on, I wanted to talk about actually your petition because I have seen it. One of the things that is highlighted in there is kind of like the definition of rape, right? And I am a student of law, so I know um, what the definition of rape is. But could you just explain to everybody else what the problems you have with that section of the law is? Okay, so I am muted. Just realized. <laughs> Yeah, I just I also just realized I was like I said a whole thing and then I was like, oh my gosh. Yes. Um so moving from what we've just spoken about, right? Um to we're going to talk about rape and specifically the definition of rape. Because in your petition, which I've read, um you spoke yeah. I mean it it outlined that the defi the definition of rape is problematic. So why is it problematic and what changes would you like to see to this definition? 
Um, I think the first thing is that it talks about um, unlawful sex with somebody. And um, I don't understand what unlawful sex is, by the way. But there's so many things that are wrong with the definition. There's, it also doesn't take into account marital rape, which is something that is so underspoken about. But it is something that is happening to so many women. And they can't talk about it. They can't do anything about it because your husband cannot rape you. So that is one of the things that um, we want to see changed. And also, it doesn't take into account memory rape, which is something that happens again. Uh, we have seen stories, uh, we have heard stories of young young boys or even older men talk about how they lost their virginity to their mates, to their older cousins, things like that. And that is sexual assault, but somehow it is glorified. And even if somebody had to report, they wouldn't, they would have no uh, legal backing because it's not in the in the definition of rape. So those are things we need to take into account. And then this, um, away from the law, I think something that people need to understand because for a lot of people, once they hear rape, they think it's violent. They think about aggression, but it can also be not violent and it can be quiet and i think people need to understand that yeah i think that's really important like the faces that we give rape or anything um extremely important so for the sake of wonani and wengwe and probably everybody else i'm going to read out what this definition of rape is and if you have any problems with it which you will i guarantee you will um <laughs> just share what they are right so section 132 of the penal code any person who has unlawful carnal knowledge of a woman or girl without her consent or with her consent, if the consent is obtained by force or by means of threats or intimidation of any kind, or by fear of bodily harm, or by means of false representations as to the nature of the act, or, in the case of married woman, by personating her husband, is guilty of the felony termed rape. <laughs> right? So... I can start and say, firstly, it's just not gender neutral, which is one thing that, Ma that Mangala has already talked about. And I've had to, I don't know if I should keep doing this, but I've had to kind of tell guys who told me about like the first sexual experiences, I've had to kind of like sit them down and be like, um, you know what? I'm not sure how to say this, but I don't think that was appropriate. And so now I'm just like, is it even worth telling them anymore? Um, so yeah, any comments on this definition that we have? I completely see what you meant by the whole, towards the end, the marital clause. And I'm like, huh, why haven't I read this before? Interesting. I think also, yes, I do see de definitely it does pop out and it's very striking. Um, the gender imbalance in that definition, um, but I think it's also interesting in the way in which it is very, very, very constrictive and super, um, would exclusive be the right word? Yeah, exclusive in a sense to the multiple stories that we see coming across the board. I completely agree with you. Wonani, any comments, thoughts? Um. Yeah, actually, Mangala brought up. She mentioned when when she mentioned unlawful sex, she meant past a comment but I don't even know what unlawful sex is. And now I'm thinking, what is lawful sex, and, and what is unlawful sex? But yeah, I've actually never um fully read that part, so a lot of it is actually new information for me because um I do see how it is very limiting or doesn't leaves out so much like there's more um to rape there's like rape is much more than 
so people are raped it's not violent it's violent um but there's just no consent and it's still rape so yeah there's a lot actually i'm i'm just very hung on the idea of like what is what is considered lawful and what is unlawful so yeah if you didn't like that part i'm going to go further into a law that i personally i hate this law like i will follow the law if it's the law because that's that's my field of work but i don't like this law it's not a good law so section 138 of the penal code deals with defilement of girls under the age of 16 right so it's basically the same definition of rape but under 16 then it goes on to say provided that it shall be a sufficient defense to any charge under this section if it shall be made to appear to the court before whom the charge shall be brought that the person so charged had reasonable cause to believe and did in fact believe that the girl was was of or above the age of 16 years so basically what it's saying is if if um a man rapes or defiles a girl right and maybe she's got like i guess features that would be of an of an older woman right or you think like oh no she's 12 but she looks 16 then it's fine you can go away scot free um and for me this is really offensive because we we in africa people are born with like full figures right and and so to have something like this after so many years because this law was this penal code was written originally in 1931 and before that it was derived from a law that was enacted in 1885 so this is a problem right and it's like i think it also goes into what mwangala's organization does sister sister right you talk about i've, I've visited your page because i'm a stalker um you talk about how it's important to have women in this position in this power ma- i mean uh law making positions and why is that so im- so important um and this is to everybody right mangala first then when we can go when and you can go after that um i feel like it's it's no longer sufficient to have women in law making positions or positions of power because first of all i feel like a lot of the appointments not to take away from the qualifications or to discredit them or anything but a lot of these appointments um are just token appointments like just to appease to to appease the, the women's organizations and to meet the gender quota that is required of them and most of the people that they the women that they appoint are going to be their mouthpieces anyway it's not like it's women that are going to go there and disrupt things and speak for us and you know just sort of be on our side it's usually women like I will not name her but like it's usually women who are telling you you have to cover up we have to enforce a national dress code we have to do this and that as a woman you have to do this uh there is a kitchen party that I went to and the speaker was um a, a woman of not you know somebody we we've all admired and then she was giving a speech and she was saying oh you know the feminism wave is sweeping Zambia and I want to tell you that uh you can be a CEO out there you can be a boss but when you you get in the house you have to submit to your husband I 
I don't understand the, sub, the, the obsession with this submission. But like, she was literally enforcing the fact that you're second to your husband, you're second to a man, and things like that. So if these are the people that we have um, in positions of power, not, nothing is going to change because they still um, keep the same beliefs that the men do. And um, I've just been reminded of another situation where we had a discussion with members of parliament last November. And we had two women and about five men because of the imbalance, obviously. And then one man was being really inappropriate to the, 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 the ladies. And he would say sexual things and they would giggle. And sometimes if they're talking, he would just interrupt and then they would keep quiet. So I ended up asking in the end, I'm like, is this your dynamic? Like, what's happening? And then the response was that if you have to survive in a boys' club, you have to have thick skin. And thick skin means taking the harassment. It means, you know, laughing when they've been inappropriate with you and things like that. So it's not enough to have women. I feel like we need to have feminist women in positions of power. We need to have activists in positions of power, people that are actually going to do something when they have that power, not people that are going to just pander to the same patriarchy that we're trying to fight. So, yeah. I hear you on that one, especially. Oh, um, do you want to say anything else? No. Okay. <laughs> so I hear you on that one, especially. Um, that woman's response, you know what, I, I've, in a way I've been that woman, right? So, uh, in, I think 2018, I was part of this robotic robotics club. And when you just, when you just started up, I was the only girl, right? So I had like, I had this guy and he's since apologized. So I'm not faulting him for this, but I had this guy who would ask me out every day and and I don't I'm not sure what he took of it. I don't know if it's just this thing that guys have that you must be persistent, but I think that's a phase of sexual harassment we don't talk about, right? And so you you normalize things like that, like no, to be about to be at the men's table, um you have to do this and this. But like I sat down years later, in fact, firstly my best friend would get mad he would call this guy out like every single time and for me i just i didn't care much i'm just like i don't like him even if he you know even if he tries again whatever and then it's years later when i was like i think me being silent about it even though i didn't take offense is part of the problem because you call people out and in that way you also teach them that what you're doing you might have been taught that this is how men behave but in the 21st century, that's not how men behave. So, yeah, for Mwengwe and Wanani, any comments? Sorry, can I cut in? Sorry? I was asking if I could cut in real quick. Oh, go for it. Oh, okay. Um, I, I heard your last part that says in the 21st century, that's not how men behave. I feel like they do still act like that. And I think this is one of the reasons we're having this discussion today. But um, I think what has changed is that there's more ability required. Sorry, you cut out on the on the last on that last part. Or is it my network? Might be my network. Um, you were saying that, or there's more what? Because you said something that I missed. Can you hear me clearly now? Much better. I was just saying that um, I think men are still behaving quite badly. But what's different now is that uh, there's more people calling them to account. Okay. Now I hear you. There's more people calling them to account. Yeah. Um, and thank you for correcting my, my statement. I guess I should have used that's how men should behave in the 21st century. But 
um i don't know what's going on yeah um so mwengwe any comments on women in power um because mangala has has clearly told us that we're being given these people to appease us which is the same way i feel but maybe you have like a different perspective to share you know i um lucky human ha 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 okay so i think so j- just for some context um i'm about to embark that is when i finished college i'm going to embark into an environment which is very 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 heavy um uh, male dominated space and i think for a lot of the time a lot of the the information i've gotten is no the more women you get into into these positions um the better things will change the better accommodations the more consideration that will be made for women um and that's the way to do it that's the way you need to have these people there otherwise they will never think about it and so on and so forth and it came to my mind even now as we were talking about this whereby um women could definitely be placed in so many places to appease personally i f- i equally feel the same way i think a lot of the recent uh, uh adjustments so to speak um have been just definitely for placating reasons um but i think what matters more now that i look at it cuz i equally used to think the same way i was like you know what just just have more people there maybe then they'll be able to speak and talk to these people and it's like no um right now there is a need to mobilize voices here and now uh both voices on the ground such as you and me and everybody else on this on this wonderful podcast right to mobilize our voices and use them from where we're at because if this is already not a topic now if we ever do get the woman um in parliament or, or in leadership positions who have the ability to actually change this thing if it wasn't there before the likelihood that they'll bring it up later on is even minimal right um or the likelihood that they will they will listen or pay attention is a little in my mind that's a little bit more on the minimal side right or the minimized side um please correct me if i'm wrong maybe i'm taking a pessimistic approach to it um but i do think mobilizing voices right now is super important and with regards to mongala's comment yes people are being called out more now than ever than ever before especially in the past people are being called out more now um for their actions for the reactions that their actions have created as well um and i think just that alone shouldn't be enough for us to sit back and hope that everything will just roll over but it should be what pushes us more and i think also it's interesting in that regard that's where maybe education and awareness also comes into play but no those are kind of like my 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 thoughts right now there's a lot going in uh, like flooding my head right now thank you um your a lot has been dumbed down for us because i know how your brain works you could have said a lot at once and wouldn't have heard anything so thank you for that wonani any thoughts feelings suggestions comments um yeah i think you have all said it um so i do agree i mean we all Okay, let me not speak for everyone. I did think having women in um in power or in government positions, law making positions was going to help push forward the agenda that feminists are 
pushing would help the situation or the fight against sexual harassment or sexual violence, let me just say that. But I think what good is it if you have a woman in power who doesn't believe that, you know, women should be treated better than they are, who doesn't be who doesn't believe that the laws need to be um amended in and who doesn't believe that women should be protected. So if you have someone who doesn't believe any of those things, putting them in power does nothing to, you know, push us forward. So unfortunately, it looks like that's what most of um, the women in government are doing now. People, they don't comment on, I'll give an example, even on the, the march that just happened. I Unless I just didn't see any, but I didn't see any of, anyone or any of the women ministers, anyone speak about it, but we're quickly, you know, in a hurry to talk about other issues that were actually not even quote unquote making headlines during that week. So it really doesn't help. And while I think there can be really like, there can be a relationship between women in power and um, protection of women it's unfortunately not working that way. So like Moingbe said, it also, I mean, we can also do our part or what we can from whatever our platforms are. But I think it would make, a, I personally think it would make a huge difference if we had women in power who believed in women and wanted better for women. Yeah, I absolutely agree with everybody. And this conversation makes me think of allies. I'm, I'm always low-key preaching about having allies, right? So sadly, this is how I see life and you can interject, but this is how I see things. A lot of the time when we've wanted change or when any group of people have wanted change, they've normally gotten it by having allies. So even here um, or even in South Africa, when they went to apartheid, it was about like having it wasn't only black people fighting, it was all people fighting. So sometimes you have people who are already there who are supposed to be instrumental to to your fight, to your plea, right? Because when we talk about Sister Sister Foundation, I know it's a feminist organization, but I think over time, people believe feminism is just you, a requirement to be feminist, uh, feminist is to be female. But I think that's incorrect. And I think everybody who is interested in people in general should be interested in these issues, right? Um, an important point that we talked about and that that minister or was it a member of parliament um, spoke about was like, you know, to be in positions of power, um, you have to go with it and everything. So that brings me back to a conversation on harassment. What does harassment look like? Right? Because I mentioned, I think, I don't know if guys know if they don't. And I'm still trying to figure that part out. If they pretend not to know, because for some it's clear that they're being pushy and they know it. For others, they look so innocent. So what does harassment look like? Have you been harassed? Are there any, um, stories that you can tell us about or experiences that you can share about being harassed because I think harassment might might just be a universal woman experience. Um, Wanani, we can, we can start with you. 
Um, okay, so I think sexual harassment is well anything that is unwarranted or unwelcome conduct sexual that is sexual in nature. So have I been harassed? I have countless times. I mean walking in walking in town in Zambia, for example. Um, that's an environment where unfortunately a lot of women are harassed. I I can think of a number I can think of a number of examples, but I remember one time I was in town with my cousin and I was wearing a dress, a flared dress, which was um above the knees. So I went into town and the what do you call them in English? <laughs> the cowboys, yes. The cowboys, the caponians, I don't know what to call them. Um Yes, <laughs> the cowboys um, started, um, you know, making comments towards me. First of all, of course, talking about my complexion and then talking about my legs, then talking about the dress and how short it was and how if I if I wanted to come like that, I might as well have just, you know, come without being dressed. So I was with my cousin on that day and I became very scared because they were being very aggressive. And I think I had read so many articles in the newspaper of how um, women had been. There was that time when people used to, you know, attack women in town and then like pour alcohol or what was that one called? Tujiliji. I don't know if anyone remembers that on their privates. So I was very scared and I, I had a jacket on. So I took off the jacket to wrap around my waist so that my dress can be at least held down and I don't know what I thought it would do. <laughs> so my cousin, who's a um, female, she was like, Rani, don't do that. Just wear it. Just wear the jacket. Don't start trying to cover up and whatever. Just ignore it. But it was hard to ignore. So that was one example of um, sexual harassment. Then I can also think of another one in my, in my house when my parents' house, actually, <laughs> when I was, like, really, uh, I had um, an uncle who, um, he he was dealing with a lot of, like, mental health issues, depression, and all that. So, I don't know if I'm making excuses, but I think it used to affect him and his thinking sometimes and all that. So, anyway, I was in my room. I had just taken a shower, so I was getting dressed. And he opened the door. But then I was really young at that time. I think I hadn't even started going through puberty. So he opens the door and I quickly cover up, like cover my breast, which at that point hadn't even started developing. So he passes the comment and he goes like, um, what are you covering up for? Um, there's nothing for you to worry about. And he just went ahead and I don't know what he wanted to do in my room at that time. And there was no one else at home at that particular time so even then i did feel harassed and i put it up with my parents and you know we talked about it or whatever and after some time he left so there are many more situations i can think of at school in uni for example i'm i'm studying the university i'm at the we don't have so many um black girls so when i remember when i just came a lot of people were were always staring at me and the local girls would tell me, you know, people look at you because of your body. Like we, we don't, we haven't, we don't really see people who have a body type like yours and whatever. And that's why people stare at you. And sometimes, you know, you'll be walking and feel someone 
try and touch you and whatever. So even that was harassment for me. So I can think of many situations where I have been sexually harassed and people do it in, in ways, I don't know if they think it doesn't count because maybe there was no, um, no sex, no penetration, no anything, and they just touch. So they think maybe it's, you know, it doesn't count or it's something small. But yeah, even then, those were times I was harassed. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you for sharing. You know, the thing that you've mentioned about, um, you know, he was depressed and he had this and this and that. I can tell you, as somebody who was diagnosed with long-term depression, that that's not one of the, that's not one of the things that happens. Like we don't just touch people. Um, maybe if you're schizophrenic, but then I don't, I don't think so. I think that if somebody is just my my nephew describes it as somebody who has bad manners because he'll just be like, you just you, you can't just touch a woman. She doesn't want you to touch. Those are bad manners. Like it's entitlement. It's bad manners. So I think there's some people who are just bad mannered. Um. So yeah. Mangala, any thoughts, um, stories on sexual harassment? I think like a lot of it comes from when we're really young and um, like we're probably taught, you know, when you're in school and maybe a boy is being mean to you and things like that, he likes you and that behavior is encouraged. We're just supposed to take it. I think it sort of just develops into something where like even when they get older, they feel like to show that they want you or they like you, you're, they're supposed to cross your boundaries and you're just supposed to take it because how they, you know, not want to respond to a man liking you or wanting you in that way. So it's very disturbing, but I do think it's um, something that's ingrained from the time that we're really young. And a lot of women don't even realize sometimes that it's harassment because it's normalized behavior. Like you have had your boundaries ignored and crossed from the time that you were young. So what's one more time? Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually a very, I don't know if to say I feel I've normalized it. It's just kind of like, this is this is life, right? So, Wengo, you can go ahead and talk about um, whatever thoughts you have on this, and then you can go into what breaking the cycle looks like. Yeah, um, I think, whew, this topic. Um, just sexual harassment in general is something that's often overlooked and I think I can think of so many instances where beforehand I would have just thought, ah, this is just the way things go you know this is just like what happens you just forget about them forget about it but no um, in actuality it, it requires a lot of change perhaps maybe that's a, a pretty decent word change revision a lot of awareness um, and understanding. And I think the fact that for a certain period of my life, I normalized this kind of behavior, especially um, sexual harassment as it, as it relates to sh sexual harassment um, is sad. But I think there's certain things that also played a key role for me uh, with regards to whether that behavior should be normalized. And I think just a few that came up when I thought about this in the beginning was I thought about how the traditions and cultures um, were or did play a role, right? Either proposing or supporting such a behavior. Um, and I think this also plays in just SGBB as well, where there may be traditions and cultures that actually support or propose um, 
such behavior. Or if, if it's not directly doing that, then it encourages the minimization of the abuses that women and girls face. Um, and it's interesting. I was reading an article earlier, which talked about it and talked about how the interdependence of personal family and social values interact specifically to create a normalization and maintain this normalization we see. Um, I also thought about how media impacts us today and how the way in which women are portrayed is a huge thing. But I was curious in your working now, Mangala, are there anything, is there anything else you'd add to this list that you think support the normalization of SGBV? I think you have listed pretty much everything and I'm so glad you brought up culture as the media and like the media is something sort of shapes us, you know, from the time we're young, we're reading books, we're watching TV. And I was talking about, like I had um, a conversation with somebody where uh, those novels that we used to sneak around reading way back when that our older siblings used to have the meals and bone, like they have very disturbing themes. And back then we used to romanticize that they had things that are uh, the, the tycoon's baby or whatever perverted titles they had. But then when you read those books, you find that this is a man that is quite powerful and he meets a girl that is most often under it and innocent. And then most of the times they would get raped because their first time would be aggressive. And then after that, they would play it into, oh, now he's fallen in love and he's given her a baby. And suddenly she's married to a millionaire a billionaire and now she's doing well and we thought that's something that's romantic but it's disturbing because now you're grown and you think love or attention from a man is supposed to be like that it's supposed to be aggressive or he's supposed to force you when you say no and the men were also reading that the boys were also reading that and they've grown up thinking I'm supposed to take something I'm, like if a woman says no I'm supposed to force I'm supposed to convince and things like that so it's very deep rooted and I do acknowledge the fact that there's a lot of work to be done if we're even going to change at least a hundred mindsets right now no, thank you so much for sharing. Oh, yeah. I actually wanted to ask something else before we go into breaking the cycle because Mangala has to leave. Um, I just wanted you to tell us, Mangala, what you want people to know about your organization. Of course, your your website is there. Um, I've looked through it and I think it's really user friendly. I like it. Um, but what does your organization do? What kind of support does it need? Um, what final words do you have for everybody listening? Okay, so aside from the work that we do in advocating against sexual and gender-based violence, we also have um, recreational therapy for um, survivors of, and victims of sexual and gender-based violence. And we actually do have a project coming up starting on the 27th. We're looking for participants. So if you know anybody that would like to go through some sessions of recreational therapy, uh, they don't have to talk about their experience or they can talk if they want. We have many ways that they can speak about their experiences or out, uh, outline the experience without having to talk about it. So we have that coming up. And then we also have... Um, end period poverty programs so with those we facilitate menstrual products for uh, women and girls and pe other people who menstruate, who menstruate uh, that are in need and, are no and cannot afford the menstrual product and um, we're also trying to push for scraping of the pink tax like at least if they're not going to make if the government is not going to make menstrual products free the least they can do is make them tax free so that at least um, we can afford because I feel like menstruation is expensive to all of us and then there's people that um cannot afford at all so yeah we're pushing for that and then aside from that we have tutoring programs for young girls in community schools and orphanages as well as boys and then we also facilitate for donations of other items because um most orphanages are just run on goodwill 
So, yeah, and other programs that we do with kids, parties. One of the parties is uh, what we call period parties, and we use them to talk to both boys and girls about um, menstruation and how it's not a taboo, it's a normal bodily function, etc., etc. Um, what else? Yeah, I think, oh, the kind of support that we need. Uh, obviously, we're always taking donations of whatever you can get to us. It is appreciated. We do appreciate it as well as the kids that we work with. And also, um, financial support is always welcome. Because I think we have been working for three years. And I think the, the, the first two years, we were just working as um, a loose movement of feminists who came together to do something. But now we're uh, working towards getting registered as an organization because most of the grants require that you're registered and you have an official bank account that's obviously it's for accountability on their part so yeah that's about and we're always taking volunteers from everywhere so you're welcome and uh, we have a volunteer our website yeah that's that all right all right thank you so much um last words regarding the conversation that we've just had i hate having this conversation i think it's very triggering and sometimes Thank you so much, Mangala. Although we've missed most of what you've said. Um, yeah, we've missed most of what you said because um, of your network. It's really spacing out. Um, but I feel like what you're going to say is important because I heard that part where you said you don't like having this conversation. I don't either. Um, so maybe you could send a voice note of your ending remarks to the WhatsApp group, right? Because the voice note will never be broken. Thank you so, 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 so much. Mwengwe, you can carry on. Yeah, thank you so much for all that you've shared, Mwengwe. I've definitely learned a great deal and kind of caught myself in the ways in which I was thinking and the ways in which I've been thinking, especially about this topic um, um, and understanding the stories um, and my own choice of wording. So I think it's a good day. When you learn anything, I think it's a good day. Um, but I want to open this particular point, I think, to to everybody, um, and especially our residential Loetsubi, common language. Um, in talking about, as, my, as, as I stand here, I am a person who knows very little about the law and I have no idea what goes into it to make it what it is. All I know is that if I'm asked to sign a petition because we want to fix something right, I'm going to do it, right? So with regards to, to awareness, right, and, and making um, policymakers or, or lawmakers aware of the policies, all the laws that are causing havoc and wreaking havoc among um, women and girls throughout the country now. What meth what steps could I, as your average layman person, take to 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 pushing for such a change? For the revision of the laws language that you spoke about that are terrible um, and that are just not not supporting the people that they're meant to. That's an amazing question because you and I are pretty much in the same boat. When I see a petition, I sign it. But when it comes to lawmaking, 
I was going to get a bit technical there, but I think the easiest way to go is just public pressure. Talk about it. Um, call your members of parliament. You know, part of our system of government, part of it, I think part of it is gotten from the USA, but part of it is gotten from the UK. And in the UK, I think it runs so smoothly because their members of parliament aren't otherworldly. And by that, I mean, you find a member of parliament in the train sitting next to you, in the bus sitting next to you, you have access to these people, right? For us, it's not so much. So normally it's just like public outcry, media houses. Um, and, and that's the best we can do at the moment. I don't think there's any law that talks about how we can go about these things. Because even the petitions, I've been meaning to look into it, but even the petitions we sign, I don't believe there's like a particular law that tells us like, oh, if you want this thing to be addressed in parliament, um, you'd have to have this many signatures, right? Because in some institutions, in some countries, that's like a thing like, oh, you, you get this number um, and, it, and we can go ahead with this. Um, another thing that you can do is visit specific ministries and start the process with them, right? Because the ministers that run those ministries are also members of parliament that can get the word across, that can introduce bills into the house, that can propel us forward in this fight. But honestly, it's just, sadly, that it, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> it's, more, it's more difficult than I would like it to be. I think because governance is about the people being governed, it should be easier for us to be able to address our issues right with whoever is in power um so yeah just keep having the spaces keep going to the media houses and having the conversations keep signing the petitions keep adding president hh on his socials keep doing all those things and hopefully hopefully and hopefully isn't good enough but hopefully we can have the changes that we desire. No, I think you've, you've made an incredible point. And I think it's something that I should think about because I think sometimes you, I think a lot of citizens feel at odds, um, forgetting that the government is for the people, by the people, with the people. Somebody correct me on that. Don't, don't fully quote me. Civics was a long time ago, but yes, it, along those lines. But basically, the government is made of the people. Um, but to enact changes and, and go the long haul, such such a huge change in reformations with regards to the law um, and the policies is often daunting, I think, for a lot of people because it's like, I'm going against this huge entity, but that huge entity is supposed to be serving you, right? Um, so so thanks for that highlight. And I think the last thing, and I think I, I, I would want to just like wrap up everything with is it was mentioned earlier how, you know, victim support unit is not doing enough. Um, um, you hear horror stories of people walking in and sharing their stories. Hey, I need assistance. And they're like, what were you wearing? Excuse me? What does that have to do with the person being raped? No. Did you antagonize them? If so, we're not going to deal with it. What? Does that suddenly excuse? 
you know, the physical abuse I've suffered. So many different stories such as these. And the implementation in the long haul is more of implementation of those policies and those laws um, that protect women, right? Uh, changing up organizations and switching up the way that organizations, even such as um, the victim support unit function, um, so that they're more in tuned and aware of the people who are walking through their doors and what they're carrying with them. Um, and that they may be more helpful um, and aimed at finding adequate solutions and resolutions and assistance and, and services for the people who walk through those doors. Um, but if anybody else has anything to say, that's kind of like the, 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 the final um, nail that I think we're all aiming for towards, right? An implementation of laws and policies, um, organizations that actually function to aiding people and aiding women or child um, in Zambia. And if we have that as our goal, working towards it with all that we've talked about is important and key, I think. So with that one, I mean, I've been thinking about how we've been talking about, you know, reformation of the laws and how we need better policies. And those things are definitely true because the laws aren't good enough. Um, the laws aren't treating this emergency like the emergency it is, right? But the thing, the thing about, um, I've lost my my line of thought. Mungo, what was your question? How I was, I was talking specifically about how revision of laws, policies, um, figuring out the organizational systems, all aims at better implementation and better implementation of these um, is key, right? At the end of the day, and what we're try what we're striving towards. But perhaps one of the queries I I do have is how does this also look? Because in as much as the law can, the law can only go so far. We still have culture to deal with. We still have um, media. We still have all these other things. And perhaps that it sounded like that's what you wanted to speak on. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, how do you change culture? I guess by introducing another culture. So if the government, if the president is as strict about sexual violence against women, against anybody in general, um, as he is about corruption. Because when you hear the president speak, he will definitely talk about how, the, how his government has a zero tolerance approach towards corruption. If we had that kind of energy, so much would change, right? Um, so when it comes to like implementation, that's like a huge problem that we have. Because we can't have our laws changed. But if people or if our representatives are going to change our laws, maybe just to sate us, or there's not going to be much reform done, right? Because you can bring in laws. But if you're not teaching the people who are supposed to enforce these laws how to enforce the laws, they're going to do so poorly. I feel like we just need a new cohort of professionals. Like don't bring your, your personal business here. You feel like I'm wrong. That's fine. But those are your personal feelings. Why are you bringing your personal feelings here? The law says this. 
I'm supposed to be protected by the law. So we have like inherent problems on our own, right? We have generations um, older than us who feel like we don't know what we're talking about or that our generation is too soft. But then I think most most people would agree, right? You're working hard now. If you want to have, have kids, you'd be like, I want my kids to have a great life and stuff like that. And so we're having this great life. We're having this soft life. And we're now encounter, encountering people who are saying, well, life shouldn't be that easy. You know, you need to suck it up. We did. But it's like, why, why, why do you want this pain to continue, right? Um, so there, there just needs to be like a complete overhaul. People need to be made conscious to the fact that whatever, whatever they say, the way they present things matters. I think it goes back to even using the term SGBV rather than just GBV, right? It matters how you present certain things. So if you do care about women, even if it's only your sister you care about, there won't be justice for her if there's no justice for us. So I think it's like, even if you're a horrible person, pick somebody you love. Maybe you love your mother, right? Think about her. Think about the fact that she's probably going through the things that we've discussed. And think about making life better for people like her. Yeah, those are my comments. Anything that you have, on, or thoughts you have on this one, Ani? Um, yeah, I can touch on um, the media, the effect of media, and also I think I'd also want to talk briefly about the church, but I mean, or religious views, but let me start with the media. Because um, the media is, I think, a very large or it's a huge source of information. It's the main information source, I think, these days. So it could be social media or TV. So I think um, the way in which news pertaining to sexual violence, the news coverage and this topic and other media, the way it's done has an effect on survivors and it also has an effect on anyone else who is listening. So the m manner in which information on sexual violence is relayed to people and also whether or not information on, on sexual violence is relayed has definitely has an impact. So the media also is like the way people respond to people coming out about their stories, like the social media response to people talking about their experience. There's really a lot of victim blaming that goes on when someone um, talks about how maybe they were abused or just their experience with sexual violence. And like you already mentioned earlier, there's always like the public discourse is always around like what did she do or what she shouldn't have done or why did she take so long to report or why did he take so long to talk about it? Why is she not about it now? So there are all these things. So people's response to news like this on social media definitely can either contribute to normalizing, quote-unquote, normalizing SGBV, or it can contribute to fighting against it. But a lot of times, I think most of the responses we see are people who try and um, blame the victim instead of showing support and whatever, trying to find ways to put the blame on the victim, which is what we saw also after the, um, the, the march that was organized by the Sister Sister Foundation. A lot of people were coming out and, you know, were moving away from the issue at hand and everything that was being raised up by the people who were marching, like how some, what someone is wearing has nothing to do with 
you know, being raped. Someone's dressing is not an invitation to be raped. But people like ignore that or move away from that and start finding ways to blame the victim. So the media, I think, plays a very huge role and is very impactful in terms of either normalizing sexual and gender-based uh, gender violence or going against it. Then also for religious groups, I can only speak for myself, I'm Christian, so um, this is going to be my experience. I don't know if everyone else will agree. If you don't, feel free to um, argue or whatever. Um, I think um, the church, for me personally, when it comes to talking about sexual violence or issues like this, the they don't do much. They don't talk about it much. I think in the few years that I've been a Christian, I've only ever heard someone speak about sexual violence, speak against it only once, and I've been Christian for quite some time. So I think that also, because, you know, they impact communities. The church impacts whatever community it is. Where if you go there, if there's a large number of people who attend your church, they tend to listen to whatever is talked about their church and whatever. So statements that are made in churches are also impactful in some way. So I, I feel like they're too silent about it, but we'll rush to talk about other issues. Say, for example, um, premarital sex, which is um, spoken against a lot. And while you know what, by all means, speak against it and whatever, but no, they don't usually talk about, what about those where there was no consent given? What about the child who was raped? And sometimes it could be by someone in the church. So I think that's one thing that really disappoints me about the, the church specifically, because I feel they do not do much to contribute to the fight against um, sexual violence. And I do not know why that is, but they also, I believe they also play a huge role when it comes to either normalizing or breaking the cycle of sexual and gender-based violence. So, yeah. So, can I just jump in and say two things, like Wonani's point has brought to mind two things. Firstly, it's just like if you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. I think social media has em empowered people to be reckless. And it's like the bitterness, the bitterness on Facebook. I'll speak specifically about Facebook because I don't know any other place that bitter. Like once I hid my Facebook up, I said having more peaceful days. There's so much negativity. Like if you don't feel like this person did um, that this girl was violated, then that's fine. You're not the, you're not the judge. Um, and it's not your call to make. So making and helpful, right? You can make arguments based off of like, oh no, I think in this situation, but if you're going to start attacking people, I think you need to like sit down and rework on like, why, why are you just doing things like that? Because why must you just be salty? <laughs> Anyways, and then, um, the other thing that I was going to talk about, uh, oh, guys, my memory, it's gone. Because somebody called me. So yeah, I'll just I'll just end on that one. I think it's an interesting point that Wanani brought up because I was listening to a podcast the other day and the person said something. So it's a podcast where um, 
it's a it's like kind of like a, a, a therapist yes a therapist people call in he gives advice wonderful they go hopefully with something good to take away and there was a query in which there was an issue with it was just a, a scenario in which a, a, there was a problem um a girl was molested at her church um and it just so happened to be the woman who was calling in's husband who was the perpetrator in this case and the first thing the 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 the, the man the therapist in this case asked was did they call the police and i was like hold on wait what simply because i think for a long time especially growing up whenever things happened it was always oh we do with it with the church at area but rarely were those words spoken to say oh did you call the police did you write that police report because it needs to be done um and i think that that for me was like it was like a shocker a shocking moment for myself because i was like yeah you know what no hold on and it's like no so oftentimes we 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 try to keep it within but we don't exact any a- immediate action or we leave it be to say yes the person the person will 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 you know repent say their prayers move on they work on it do better but it's like no i'm at the standing point now where my immediate gut reaction is literally something happened yes it was in the church it was some related whether it's sgbv um pertaining or not but you know that that is contrary to sexual harassment molestation whatsoever call the police call the police write that report no and i'm yes yeah. but that's kind of like a my immediate thought i just remember what i was going to say and it was about the church um i'm big on calling people out so i'm going to call out the church because what the church does is akin to what the family does right so most cases of sgbv um happen in the home happen between like relatives right and uncle even even fathers right um which is extremely dis- disturbing but the church acts in the same way no forgiveness no like don't push me to forgive somebody one right like you can you can you can recommend it but don't push me um and then th- there's this thing that people forget that when somebody is an oppressor and we see this even with stuff like colonialism when somebody is an oppressor they have the upper hand for them they are living life it's well you who is the oppressed you're going to continue to probably relive those moments you're probably going to continue to have the same issues over and over and over and over again you might have ptsd or some form of trauma but everybody just quick to be like no um the bible says forgive what 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 so guys the bible also says judge those within the church it's not your business to judge those outside the church but judge those within the church that also means that when there is a law it is the church is mandate to make sure that the law is adhered to so in the name of no deescalating no the image of the church i don't think you are serving jesus that's just like i don't think you are serving jesus so 
rethink, re- rework, pray about it, and let's start working for real. That's it. I definitely agree with you both. Um, as both of you were sharing, I was also reminded about still on the people, people's response on social media. Um, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Um, to a- anyone who's listening, someone mentioned, sorry, someone mentioned um, something about your sister or whatever. And I always think about how, you know, you shouldn't um, feel the need to join the fight against something or against sexual violence just because you have a sister or your mother. You know, for say, imagine it was your sister or imagine it was your mother. And while I do understand that um, human beings tend to maybe respond to things that maybe you relate to the most, it shouldn't take you having a sister or you living with your mother for you to understand or empathize with the problems that women are facing. I think the connection of just being a human being as well, like being being a human being already connects you to others without you having any direct relation in terms of blood or whatever. So I think that alone should also be enough for you to empathize. And also I think it's very important to always question your bias. If you're always fighting whenever someone talks about um, sexual violence or they speak against it and you're always in the forefront trying to, you know, retaliate or bring up other other issues, always question your bias. Ask yourself, why do I think like this? Or, you know, why do I perceive this issue like this? I recently found out about something in psychology called the social identity threat, where um, this is an example say if a man on social media or whatever gets called out and someone comes out and says, um, I was raped by this person. Sometimes they, they are, there are going to be men who want to be like, oh no, but he didn't do that. Can you prove that A, B, C, D? Can you whatever? So according to psychology and this aspect specifically of psychology and social identity threat, sometimes people do that because they they feel like they're in the same community as the man. And so when one person in that community is um, accused of something, they also feel like they are being accused as well. And so they tend to want to um, fight back, not maybe to protect that man, but it becomes more of an ego thing. And as I was listening to that, I thought, wow, I, I don't think that should excuse anyone because I think all those are just the way you've conditioned how you think. And those are things that you can unlearn. And that's where the thing of questioning your bias is like, why am I actually arguing or why am I having a hard time believing this woman who's come out? And sometimes you find, especially if it's men, you find you're only having a hard time believing simply because it's a woman and she's accusing a man because you're a man too. You feel like, okay, he didn't do that. So it's very important to check yourself and question your bias and conscious bias or how we perceive issues because sometimes we see things the way we do because you've grown up in environments that you know condition you to think like that if you've grown up in a home where you know violence against women or you know anything like that is normalized you grow up thinking that's the normal thing and that becomes your bias so it's always important to question yourself and just check yourself ask yourself why are people actually upset about this why are people actually 
angry or whatever, you know. So don't just be quick to come and start arguing when people are uh, talking about their experiences or are protesting all this. Don't be too quick to come in and start fighting that. So just take some time, think, try and understand what's going on. And then from there, we move forward. Our bias plays a big role in how we respond to to issues. And as we get older, we have opportunities to unlearn certain things and relearn. So we should be very open to unlearning and be very open to relearning and always question yourself. So does anyone have anything else to add? Anything else to say? Nope, I think you said it all. Thank you so much for this conversation, guys. I'm so happy. Yeah, I had fun too. Definitely learned a lot. Just like Mwengwe, I'm very, you know, when it comes to the law, I'm quite ignorant, honestly. I don't know much. So this has been a lot of learning for me. Listening to you saying penal code, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I was just thinking, okay, okay, Miss Lawyer. <laughs> so it's been a lot of learning. I've learned, definitely learned a lot. It's been fun. Okay, so just to wrap this up, I hope um, everyone has enjoyed the conversation and most importantly, we've all learned something. I hope everyone can play their part in breaking this, this cycle and, you know, just doing your best to change your world and make the world safer for everyone. We hope that one day um, issues of sexual violence will be a thing of the past and until we get there we're still going to fight every day we're still going to wake up and start to fight the patriarchy and we're just gonna you know do our best so i hope everyone enjoyed this conversation be sure to follow us at, at the village zm on all social media platforms um share this with your friends with your family start a conversation amongst your friends and use this to you know talk about this with your family as well here where everyone stands and use it as a learning opportunity. So, yeah, be sure to join us for the next episode and I hope you had a good time. That's it from me and I'm assuming everyone, right? Bye, everybody. Have a wonderful time. Bye. Bye.